Hey, podcast listeners, Scott Weingart here, and today we're going to talk about Pardon Me, I Couldn't Help But Over Here, or How to Transform from an Asshole to an Acehole on Twitter. I'll explain all that very shortly, for a while now. The only interactive social media I've really participated in has been Twitter. And I even participated in that outlet begrudgingly. I find Twitter to be flawed severely, and that's exactly what we'll talk about in this episode. But before we get there, I want to talk about a little bit on the reasons why I don't participate in any of the other interactive social media outlets. Now, in preparation for this episode, I did a lot of reading on various books, and eventually, and I I have to make the Apology. I'm not going to have the show notes for this episode up in any usable form for at least a couple days just due to time crunch. I'm sorry, but they will eventually be there, the books that I'm talking about and the links and all the good stuff. But for now, I could say I've been reading many books to try to get a better handle on the um, kind of unformed thoughts on why I think social media, the interactive social media at least, is is very dangerous and bad and screwing up our brains. And luckily, there's uh, I'm kind of riding the wave of gestalt on these same issues because there's been a backlash uh, across the tech world against interactive social media. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of riding their wave because as I've been feeling these things, um, uh, a lot of other people smarter than me are coming on board in the tech community saying the evils of these various things that they themselves may have been pushing or things very similar uh, that they have been pushing in Silicon Valley and the various other tech hives across the world. Facebook. Let's start there. And a lot of the books I've been reading, all of them decry Facebook. Now, why is Facebook so bad? Well, there's, there's a few reasons, but the worst part of it is that they made a decision, and I want to say it's about four or five years now, to select what actually shows up on your timeline and exclude non-paying content producers from necessarily being able to have their stuff seen by the people who have chosen to follow them. And in lieu of those things, um, Facebook is using a machine learning algorithm to actually decide what goes in front of your eyes. And since Facebook is free, ostensibly, you have to ask yourself, to whose benefit is that selection? And, you know, this brings up a quote, and I can't definitively find the origins of this. And what I'm going to say is actually my own paraphrase of the quote. But I think the quote holds a lot of mental power if you really start thinking about it. And the quote is, If a product seems free, then you are the product. If a product seems free, then you are the product. What does that actually mean? It means a service like Facebook, wow, I'm not paying anything for this, and look at all the great stuff I get. Um, They're making money off you. They're using, in the Facebook model, um, they're using advertiser money, but not in the old days when we had TV where they would serve one ad for everyone, they're, they're choosing what goes in front of your eyeballs from an ad perspective. And now here's where it gets kind of evil. They're also choosing, or at least the books I've read have indicated this, the other stuff you see to make you more likely 
to interact in a favorable manner with the ads. So if an advertiser realizes that you are going to be made despondent by showing you a couple of specific posts, uh, maybe some of your friend's stuff, maybe some of the places you follow, and then hit you with an ad in your timeline, that makes other people who have been determined to be a similar ilk to you, based on a whole rubric of possible characteristics, um, makes more of those people buy or click or interact than when they don't show you that stuff. Guess what that machine algorithm is going to do? It's going to show you that stuff. And so any service that selectively chooses by machine learning algorithm, what you see is, in my mind, very dangerous. And so that includes Facebook. To my understanding, it includes Instagram. It definitively includes Google search. And, and here's one that I do interact with frequently and I think is one of the best things of the internet. And that's YouTube. YouTube is amazing. The scope of knowledge and education that's provided for quote unquote free there is astoundingly good and should not be eliminated. I think it is world changing. But I don't interact with YouTube, thereby Google's algorithm telling me what it thinks I should watch. I never even look at that feed. And if there was a way to eliminate it, I would. I only watch the things that I've chosen to follow. So if there's a producer out there that I like, I subscribe to them. And even that's not enough. It used to be enough that you would then see all of their videos. You don't anymore. You have to bell them. You have to click that little bell next to subscribe. And then all of a sudden, you get a notification when they put out a new video. And that's what I watch on YouTube. Or my own searches done through a service that eliminates all of my pre-existing cookies. And therefore, when I do the searches, I actually see everything out there as opposed to what Google determines I should see. This stuff, when you start talking about it to any extent, starts to feel very conspiracy theory. They're out to get us. Well, guess what? Uh, As bad as you can make it sound when you're talking about this in general vernacular, um, if you actually delve into this stuff, and I've only done that at a most superficial level, what you feel sounds like conspiracy theory, you know, tinfoil hat craziness is actually but the tip of the iceberg. Um, this shit is real. Um, they are doing this stuff. In fact, Google has a webpage you could check out. It's kind of cool on the Google Unbiasing Project. Um, they actually manipulate the search results to make things seem uh, to have maximal equality of outcome. And while I laud their intent, um, when you actually delve into it, I'm not going to spend any more time on it. Uh, it's kind of kind of 1984, um, big brother type stuff going on here. And this is, like I say, this is only what they're publicly releasing and that actually uh, could be gleaned by the information out there as opposed to what's actually going on in the black box of the actual algorithm. So this stuff, uh, I, I think it's potentially evil. Not to mention things like Facebook are designed around a slot machine theory of human interaction, which is um, you, you don't want to give rewards every time you go to Facebook. That, that's been shown not to be as good as to just intermittently give you a hit of all of those good-feeling chemicals to make you keep coming back and checking your Facebook continuously every three minutes. Um, it's, this is not by chance. This is built in to apps like this. Now, Instagram is the same, and when you look at the ownership of Instagram, you'll understand why. I don't participate in Instagram at all. I participate in Facebook only in that MCRIT team has a page that takes auto posts and puts them up there from each time we post on the blog, and I'd get rid of that too, except a huge amount of the traffic comes from Facebook, and so that would be untenable to get rid of. Um, If enough of you quit Facebook, uh, maybe I could stop a presence there. 
Now, where it gets interesting is uh, places like Reddit. And I've always been a big fan of Reddit because there's no real advertising and there's no algorithm except for the things that other people vote up. And that seems kind of smart. I kind of like that. But then that's now the corollary to if you're getting the product seemingly for free, then you are the product, which is if you're getting the product seemingly for free and you are not the product, then be very wary of how these organizations will actually monetize because they're probably going to go away. So if you are not charging and you are not using your users, then the lifespan of that product is probably short. Now, the one place I do interact with, and I wish I didn't, and I probably shouldn't, is I, I use Gmail as my email provider, as Google mines all of my data. Yeah, it's in a de-anim, a de it's in an anonymized, 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 anonymized. They're taking away my identity, allegedly, but they're not. And they're using characteristics that I share in common with other users of Gmail to match me up and do all that machine learning stuff. So I should probably not do that. In fact, you probably should not be using any free services. You should probably desperately want to pay for everything you like, because that means their business model could be that they charge you and therefore make money that way and not do any of the evil. Okay, now obviously blogs and podcasts don't yet fit into this algorithmic interactive social media morass because um, you are not having to pay because the person creating them has to pay, and uh, there's no algorithm determining what you see. You choose what you see. Subscribe to an RSS feed, or you check them out intermittently by going to the site, and you listen, or you download them from Apple uh, podcasts. You know, the point is, right now, they're clean. The books I've been reading actually allude to what is certainly going to be the future, which eventually they'll be combined feeds of the people you follow. And then instead of listening to MCRIT podcasts, they'll let's take excerpts out of MCRIT that the machine learning algorithm thinks of, will be of interest to you, And but then they'll be doing the same manipulations of um, if there is any form of evil that is paying them, then they will decide what excerpts you hear for specific motivations and purposes. Okay, enough conspiracy theory stuff. Let's get to Twitter, which is what this podcast is supposed to be about. Now, after years of interaction on Twitter, which has only been to the negative uh, in terms of actual interactions, as opposed to, look, I got friends on Twitter. In fact, I was arguing with my friend uh, Justin about this the other day, and he says, no, Twitter's great. I find all these articles and information. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, if your only role on Twitter is to be following people that you think are smart and when they recommend articles or links, you check them out and you never uh, interact and have discourse on Twitter, you'll probably be pretty happy with it. As a content producer, your only role on Twitter is to actually put out good links of articles you came across or websites or, um, you know, saying that you have a new podcast out there and you never have any discourse on Twitter and you just don't look at your app mentions, Twitter probably also is really good. But the second people start using Twitter as a place to discuss or debate, it all goes to shit. And that's intentional. Twitter is fully aware of this. They want you to become an asshole. Because when you're an asshole, you use Twitter more, and a lot of other people use Twitter more. And now that they have Twitter-promoted tweets, i.e. advertising, that are determined by an algorithm and in your feed, the more you come to Twitter and the angrier you are, the better it is for Twitter. So it's all built to 
make you into an asshole. That is what Twitter is built to. And even people who are in person really nice and and very, you know, kind in their interaction styles become assholes on Twitter. In fact, you know, one of the books, books I read on this stuff uh, was called, I think it's called 10 Arguments on Why You Should Delete Your Social Media Accounts Now. It's by a Silicon Valley insider. And the book's not perfect. It's kind of written in a hyperbolic style. But I think, you, I think you'll like it. And there's a lot of great information in there. And this author talks about how uh, he's a pretty shy, introverted, non-argumentative person in real life, and he becomes an asshole on Twitter. He actually deleted his Twitter account because he realized it's making him into an asshole. Now, how does it do this? Well, the first thing Twitter does is just based on its built-in way of letting people interact, it eliminates context. And that's designed by a couple of unique features. The short posting ability on Twitter used to be 140, now it's 280 prevents people from really giving context. They could just make their point. But the real interesting thing about Twitter is that in general, at least the way I use it, I'm only replying to people that have actually sent me a tweet asking my opinion on something or at least mentioning me. And then I reply to those people. But due to the nature of Twitter, Any person following any of those people will also see my reply. So basically, you're not having a conversation. You're having a conversation that's being broadcast to all sorts of people that you would have had a very different amount of contextual explanation for the things you say than the people you're actually talking to. And as a result, and because of the format... Uh, those people, in general, will immediately go to straw man rather than steel man. Now, I've defined these terms in another podcast on how to have an online debate, which is you know very similar to what we're talking about right now. But to straw man is to take the worst possible interpretation, or an interpretation that's not even possible, of anything said by your opponent, and then use that as the basis for an argument you could go into. And so by the time you're done with your argument, your opponent could either argue the things you said or go back to the beginning and say, I never said that. But the, I never said that on Twitter doesn't work out as well as in real life. Um, because by the time you get to that, every person following the person who's made the hyperbolic response and all of the people who are in the retweet stream of those people have already seen it and piled on with their own ridiculous straw man interpretation of the straw man interpretation. And now the only way to prevent this is to steel man, to before you ever get angry and start going off on a Twitter post to say, what I'm hearing you say is dot, 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 is that what you are saying? And if that happened on Twitter, there'd never be any arguments on Twitter except for the ones that actually should happen because there's some real dickheads out there uh, who (laughs) mean exactly the horrible things that the people think they're saying and then by all means destroy those people, pile on. Um, But I'd say usually if you steal man, that doesn't happen. So now you're left with two possibilities, which is you could either just carefully craft your Twitter persona to never say anything that could uh, make anyone angry. And I'm not saying you're saying things to make people deliberately angry, but the point is, if you say anything on Twitter that is not the most milquetoast, useless uh, homily, uh, it's going to make someone angry who's overhearing. You could either do that, uh, which doesn't seem very utile, or, or you could just risk having these continuous 
straw man debates. Now, this is not even to discuss the obvious Twitter trolls. Now, got to say, I kind of like the Twitter trolls who, when you click on their, um, their actual account, they openly tell you that they're a troll. I kind of, I kind of like those folks. I, I don't know. I don't know why, but I, I think those folks are kind of enjoyable. Not, I'm sure there could be a level of turning up that dial that would quickly disabuse me of my like, but uh, they're, they're infrequent enough that, you know, the, the shit they stir is uh, a nice diversion. And as long as you don't respond to the trolls, um, in general, it's, it's pretty enjoyable. Now, then there's the sock puppet trolls. And sock puppet trolls are people who are using fake um, accounts uh, that don't truly represent them. But they're not even fake and then admit that they're a joke account. They're pretending to be someone real. And those people are dangerous because uh, you could have an entire um, troll thread that the person objecting to you never actually cared. They just wanted to see you get red-faced and angry. Um, now, how do, we, how do we solve this without getting rid of your Twitter accounts? Because I think most people are not going to. De- delete your Facebook account for sure. Just trust me on this one. Just delete your Facebook account. It's garbage. Um, but Twitter, there is a potential for goodness. And how do we make that happen? Well, that's the title of this episode, which is if you were, say, at a multidisciplinary conference like SMAC, and we're walking by, and there was a group of three or four people discussing something, and you heard something that sounded inflammatory or something that made you upset or angry. Would you go break into that group of three or four people and start going off on them? I don't think you would because you realize that what you were actually doing was eavesdropping. And there's a very good chance that you didn't get the context of what you were hearing. And even if you did, um, they might be meaning it differently. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure there's some real jerks out there that would break into a conversation they had no part in and start going off on the people. But I think most of us, most of the people starting debates on Twitter would instead do something very different. And what they'd probably do is if they chose not to ignore it entirely, they'd probably go to that group and say, pardon me, I couldn't help but overhear. Are you saying those three words, are you saying, and then they would repeat the thing they overheard. Now, I'd say nine times out of 10, those three or four people would say, oh no, of course not. That's not what we meant. We were talking about this unique circumstance and this happened and it was just dealing with this one person that we all three know that you don't know who actually is a jerk. And uh, we were just talking about that. And no, we would never apply this to to you know, a specialty or a group or, or uh, a gender or anything in general, no. But uh, now that you're here, uh, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? Um, you know, are you saying is very powerful. That's steel manning in essence. And that's what probably should be happening for everything you read on Twitter, especially if you were never part of the original conversation. You should start off your diatribe with are you saying and then lay out what you think that's made you so angry, the person whose uh, conversation you've now broken into, what you think they're saying, and if they say, yeah, jackass, that's what I'm saying, then go with both barrels. Let them have it. If on the other hand they say, no, of course not. I I would never imply that. That wasn't what I meant. Then, wow, a a good conversation could ensue. Um, So pardon me, I couldn't help but overhear 
But most importantly, because no one should say that in a tweet, don't, don't write that, just think that in your head. Every time you're about to go off, just say, pardon me, I couldn't help but overhearing in your head. And then in the tweet, are you saying? Are you saying? And that will convert you from an asshole to an ace hole, an A-Y-S hyphen hole. A-Y-S, are you saying? And if you're an ace hole, you're not going to have very many unnecessary debates on Twitter. So please, become an ace hole rather than an asshole. Now, this might sound very similar to another amazing friggin' lecture, which is Jenny Rudolph at Smack. It was just released a few weeks ago on, and I'm blanking on the name, I'll put it in the show notes eventually, but the whole concept of the lecture was anytime you hear something that makes you say, what the fuck, what you should change that to in your head is, what's their frame? Because chances are they're framing the situation differently than you are. And if you ask, what's their frame, it may stop you from creating a huge in-person fight. It's the same thing on Twitter, what's their frame. But the better way to do it Instead of you trying to figure out what their frame is, though that certainly would be a helpful thought experiment, ask them what their frame is by saying, are you saying? And what this does is it converts from the golden rule to the platinum rule. The golden rule, for any biblical scholars out there, is do unto others as you would like to be done upon, or you would like to have others do upon you. I'm blanking on the exact quote um, because I don't use the golden rule. I think the golden rule is severely flawed. It's better than nothing. But for gosh sake, use... The platinum rule, which is do unto others as others would like to be done upon, as others would like you to do to them, because everyone wants different things. Everyone needs different things. So do unto them as they'd want to be done upon. Well, how do you know? You ask, are you saying? Now, I'll leave you with one last thought, which is, None of these debates actually should be happening on Twitter. They should be happening on a separate app. And I've been looking. There actually are, I think there's maybe seven or eight of them now, these online debate forums specifically designed for this purpose. None of them have been good. None of them do the things I want to do, which is um, to actually use machine learning for the power of good to when you give a response before you send to have a pop-up saying, are you steel manning? Are you actually asking your opponent what they mean, or are you just going with the least charitable interpretation of what they mean? Things that would pop up with machine learning, the cognitive biases that are inherent in your response to ask yourself, do you really want to say this? Because you're kind of exhibiting uh, X, Y, and Z, all of which would make your point immediately from a logical or argumentative standpoint invalid before you even say it. And if we had these forums, you could just click to a Twitter link saying, um, you know, I kind of disagree with what I think you're saying. Would you mind coming over to, um, you know, debategood.com, mental note, work on name, uh, and, and let's talk about it there. Wow, that would be powerful. And I guarantee you, if you made a good one, then either Facebook or Twitter or someone would buy you out. And uh, then it could be integrated into the Twitter app itself. I'm surprised Twitter didn't. Oh, no, I'm not, because their business model relies on people being assholes. So they don't want this, which is why you'd probably have to do it yourself. And they'd probably buy you out to then um, shelf that app and never let it see the light of day. Okay. I think I've gone on long enough. We're over time. So remember, don't be an asshole. Be an acehole. Scott Weingart saying bye-bye.
Hey there on Deeper Reflection listeners. Before I disappear, in addition to podcasting, I am a physician and clinician performance coach. And that means I work with clients to deal with issues of burnout, to deal with issues of not being as happy as they'd like at their job, but also on the positive side. I work with people that are already performing at an amazing level, but they want to increase their productivity, their performance, their joy in life, their what we call eudaimonia, their flourishing. And so from all these different bents in a wide variety of possible situations, uh, I could work with you to make your life better. If that sounds interesting, if that sounds appealing, if it sounds like something that would make your life better, both in your job and outside it, then get in touch at mcrit.org slash coach. That's E-M-C-R-I-T dot org slash coach. And that'll take you to the page where you'll see all the variety of coaching that I offer and how to take the next step to make your life better. So mcrit, E-M-C-R-I-T dot org slash coach. Bye. Bye.